Welcome to Infection and Immunity, Evidence Explained, a Doherty Institute podcast. I'm Catherine Somerville. It's Thursday, the 27th of May, and given the situation in Melbourne right now, we're going to try and get some of our experts to give you the lowdown a bit quicker than our usual fortnightly episodes. Stay tuned to the Doherty Institute social pages and your favourite podcasting app for updates. Today, Professor Jodie McVernon, Director of Doherty Epidemiology, joins us. Jodie has years of experience in developing modelling to support infectious diseases policy, including pandemic preparedness work. Since January 2020, she's been advising the Commonwealth Government on emerging evidence and pulling together modelling looking at the impact of COVID-19 to inform transmission-reducing measures and health system preparedness. Today, we pick her brains about what's happening in Melbourne right now and how Australia moves towards opening up to the world. Jodie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Kat. What's your analysis of what's happening in Melbourne right now? Well, I'm actually feeling a little bit guilty because I was on RN just on Monday morning saying, you know, we're going to have outbreaks. We're going to have community transmission. This is 100% predictable. Would you have expected it was going to happen so soon after you gave that interview? Well, I would rather have not been the prophet of doom who summoned it into being, and I can can convince people I did not plant the seed. But, you know, we are here in our fortress Australia, completely vulnerable to this infection. We have an amazing quarantine system for all that it's been criticised that keeps out more than 99% of infections that arrive at our borders. But we are going to see these kind of breaches from time to time, and we're going to need to jump on them hard because our population at the moment remains highly susceptible, and without these public health and social measures, we'll have rapidly escalating epidemics. So one of the tools that is essential to controlling these um, these outbreaks is contact tracing. You would have seen on the press conference earlier that there were a lot of criticism from journalists about the contact tracing in Victoria. Do you think it's up to scratch? Look, I was bewildered by that comment of how the logical sequence came about, and I think so was Brett Sutton. Um, What we're seeing here is an incursion event that we can date back to several weeks ago. Nothing appeared to happen, and then we've had one or two cases turn up, and it was clear something happened. And what the contact tracers have done is something called backtracing. They've gone back over the history of those individuals and backward and backward and backward to try to work out how those cases could possibly be connected to the person we know came over. So, you know, backtracing is complex. They've already put thousands of people into quarantine. I would say the contact tracers have been quite active, but, you know, contact tracers aren't psychics. They can't predict forward and they can't really be active when there's nothing to be seen. So they're doing their job. And how do you see this particular outbreak playing out? Can you see comparisons with the Adelaide and Sydney ones um, from, you know, late last year? I know the geographical location has been touted as one of the reasons that New South Wales was able to control theirs. How do you see this one working? So what we've seen, one of the things I think that all of us have a look at very early is, you know, within the households of the cases we know about, how infectious have these people actually been? And we've seen a large number of secondary cases in the household contacts. So we know these people were doing their job in terms of being pretty contagious. So that makes us more vigilant for cases out in the community because, you know, your household members are the people you see the most of, usually. I think what was rapidly concerning about this particular outbreak as it got into worker groups who were younger people who were more socially active, our hearts all stop when we start to see bars (laughs) and large numbers of people mixing together closely, 
a little bit inebriated, not particularly socially distant. These are the perfect conditions for rapid spread. So, you know, in, in watching, I was actually in Canberra for the first half of this week. I was, I was very relieved I could get up there because I don't think I'll be going back for a while. Um, but, you know, it was watching the number of contact locations escalate and you could see when it jumped into this younger group, you know, who as younger people are, are much more socially mobile and active. They were doing completely appropriate things for our policy settings. But, you know, we've seen around the world that, that it's in these environments in particular that's, that contact is close with large numbers of people and, and spread is possible. So, you know, the seven-day circuit breaker lockdown, given the extent of spread and the types of locations that, that exposures were occurring, you know, large sporting events as well, yet really there was no other decision um, in our current setting of, of really not being able to, to tolerate community transmission. Do you think there's an element of luck? In these, I mean, we have seen a couple of incursions where it's not gone anywhere. Like I remember the one in Queensland, the one in WA. So do you think there is an element of luck involved? Massively. So one of the things we we came to understand about COVID early um, was, you know, we talk about a reproduction number and a reproduction number is the average number of secondary cases that an infected person makes. And, you know, various estimates for different variants of COVID over time have been somewhere in the order of, you know, two to five. But within that average, there's a range. And about 80% of people don't, don't spread the infection to anyone. So if the first person who's the, the breach of the system is one of those people, we don't ever hear about it. Nothing happens. But then there'll be a few people who might generate 20 or 30 secondary infections and suddenly they have basically seeded off multiple potential chains of spread. And it's those super spreading events that are so concerning. And early in the pandemic, you know, well, we all knew about cruise ships as super spreading environments, but also, you know, weddings and parties and dinners and ski chalets, these sorts of environments set off super spreader events of people who came together socially, went back to their households, their communities and set off further chains. And in, in looking at the, the geographical distribution of exposure sites, you know, we saw people who may or may not have been exposed going to so many different parts of Greater Melbourne and, and into um, other parts of Victoria that, that really the, the potential for those seeding events to take off um, is, is of great concern. I think we should talk about complacency. Of course, you know, we would never think that anyone would deliberately go out and spread COVID-19. However, Australia has been in such a fortunate position, um, you know, compared to the US and Europe and the UK, and we have been living relatively normal lives for um, the last few months. We've heard anecdotally people going around with the sniffles saying it's just a cold, but how dangerous is complacency for us right, right this minute? Look, complacency is very dangerous because, as I say, we, we can't, you know, we, we do feel safe and we do feel secure. I mean, I, I just feel so lucky my daughter's high school musical was last week, you know, and people were there just openly expressing gratitude that we could do this, right? But, but we do need to be aware that the situation can change. And, and I don't think we should be overly critical of populations. You know, the whole point of, of being in this state is so that we can open up society and the economy and let people see each other and let them mix. And so as I say, I'm not going to criticise young people for going to bars. You know, I quite like doing that too, and I might have been to a few lately. But, um, 
you know, the, the, the point is the things we shouldn't be complacent about, and, and there have been concerns, as you say, about people not presenting for testing when they're unwell, about people sort of bypassing QR codes and not remembering to do that, um, you know, about not perhaps practising those personal preventive behaviours. We can all reduce our risk in every interpersonal interaction, even if we're out mixing in the community. It's those things that we can all continue to do with you know, relatively little effort to ourselves um, but they do make a big difference to the community and so you know in in being able to to trace down a contact venue or something like that you know it just so assists the public health response if that information is there um, and it's a small thing that we can all do being mindful that this can happen any day that said you know victorians are, are still scarred by our experiences of last year and if we look around the country we measure something called the transmission potential and that's based on behavioral surveys that say how many people are still complying with the behaviors and you know out in society how are people mixing and victoria still has the lowest transmission potential of any state in australia even before this happened um, uh, as compared to some other states that really haven't had disease at all. You know, Northern Territory is about the most liberal free-range population in Australia at the moment. So, you know, our, our behaviours, I think I think Victorians are pretty vigilant. We've seen the testing rates jump dramatically yesterday. We're pretty cued in. We are aware. We will already have seen, I believe, a lot of spontaneous behaviour change of people immediately pulling their heads in. And obviously we now have a lockdown as well. Um, so I'm, I'm very confident the community will respond really well and, and cooperate with the orders and, and pull together because we don't want a prolonged lockdown. We know, you know, if we just do this well for seven days and, and help the public health response get under control, we've seen these things can be managed before and I believe it can be managed again. But, you know, it's the reminder we had to have. And I'm also very interested that vaccination rates went through the roof yesterday. So, you know, maybe that's the other reminder we need that we're not really safe. This is an unstable state and, and we're going to need to all pull together on the vaccine front as well if we, we want to have greater security going forward. Maybe a hard way to encourage people to get vaccinated, though. Well, look, we're all human and nobody wants this way. But, you know, we... we all live in a world where we make our own risk-benefit assessments and, and then we can forget the risks of something that we don't see. When the risk is in your face, it's it's suddenly much more tangible. So, you know, I, it's not what I would hope for, but it is an appropriate response of the public to remember that this is still here, that this is still a reality, and, and hopefully that's not just a Victorian phenomenon. You know, hopefully that will help nationally as well. A lot last year when you gave media interviews and people would say, what's going to be happening in six to 12 months? You famously said, I work in two-week blocks. <laughs> but I am going to ask you to grab your crystal ball and um, just extend that two-week block to see what you think about how Australia is going to look in, say, 6, 12, 18 months. How do we start the conversation about opening the borders up so that the community's um, you know, risk, appetite, increases or maybe should it stay the same? Yeah, look, uh, so I can I can reassure you I got used to this stably unstable state, so I actually do think beyond two weeks now, which is kind of exciting. Um, but, but I think what we need to prepare, be prepared for is, is more uncertainty, which nobody wants to hear, and that's been the nice thing about sitting here in Fortress Australia. It feels very safe and certain and, and we know we can plan for things and but, but we do need to remember that our world has changed and and it always was uncertain. It's just that COVID's kind of scrawled in crayon across the top of everything else and makes that so obvious. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm confident that we will improve our vaccine uptake. 
you know, one of the great stories about the the outbreak, you know, in in the the LGA where it first started in Whittlesea was that all of the nursing homes in that area had been immunised. That's fantastic. That's a game changer from last year, and that will have a, a you know massive um, protective effect on on those age groups who are most at risk of severe disease. So I think we'll be able to to you know make sure we can increase protection of those people who are most likely to become unwell as we increase coverage. The ability of this virus to spread will be reduced. We may not be able to get it to the point where it stops spreading altogether. I think that's probably unlikely, but it'll be easier to manage. And when we have to have these kinds of responses, you know, we'll likely still need to have ongoing public health responses. At some point in time, you know, we won't be aiming for no community transmission. There will be some COVID in the community. It'll be more of a manageable disease and vaccination will do that. I'm hoping we'll have more therapies and drugs to do that. Um, and we'll also have um, still probably some degree of, we'll have public health responses, we'll have some degree of social measures from time to time if things are getting out of control. But we will have more freedoms if we can change ourselves and vaccines help us change ourselves. Lastly, we're asking everyone over the next week, what's your top tip for getting through lockdown? Well, I re- I was very good at anticipating the time of the press conference. I managed to get down to Coles and stock up the freezer with Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, a full set of streaming services, makes teenage happiness. That sounds like an excellent tip, but no need to rush out for those of you listening because Coles will remain open. And, and there's always been in Jerry's. And there's always been in Jerry's. <laughs> Thank you, Jodie, for taking the time to speak with us today. And thanks to you, all of you for listening to Infection and Immunity Evidence Explained, a Doherty Institute podcast. Calls to action for today, as well as rating and reviewing our podcast. If you're over 40 years old in Victoria, go and get vaccinated. And if you have any symptoms at all, please go and get tested. For more information, head to dhhs.fic gov.au slash coronavirus. The Doherty Institute is a joint venture between the University of Melbourne and the Royal Melbourne Hospital.